0: Amen. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 5 starting at verse 11. It says this it came to pass When the priests were come out of the holy place and this is When the temple of Solomon was being dedicated unto the Lord When the priests were come out of the holy place for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course And also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jejuthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests, sounding with trumpets. Verse 13, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, we just got through doing all of that. And when they praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, look at this, that then the house was filled with a cloud, the glory cloud even the house of the Lord verse 14 says so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God and I want you to turn over to John chapter 4 we're going to read verses 23 and 24 John chapter 4 verses 23 And 24 says this, but the hour cometh, this is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, everyone say true worshipers, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him, excuse me, my voice is giving me issues again for some reason i was fine before i got up here so we rebuke that in jesus name we're going to be all right we're going to make it through this the lord wants us to hear what he has to say today and in verse 24 it says god is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth i want to speak to you this morning from this simple title the essence of true worship. The essence of true worship. Would you put your Bibles down, your tablets, your devices, whatever? Would you lift your hands and your voices to the Lord and ask the Lord to speak to your heart today? Lord Jesus, here we are in your presence we didn't come here just to pass the time, but we came here to honor you and glorify you. We came here, Lord, to see your will be done on earth and to see your kingdom come on earth. We came into your house today to worship you, to glorify, to honor you, uh, and to hear your voice today. We need to hear from you. So, Lord, I ask that you would anoint every ear to hear what thus saith the Lord today, uh, that you would anoint every mind to understand and comprehend what the Spirit is saying to the the church and that you would anoint every heart to to receive it as a word from the lord for them directly for them for you brought them here for a reason and for a purpose and you tailored this word just for them today and i pray that you would anoint these lips of clay to speak the word that you would have your people to hear today let the word of god go forth with power with authority with compassion with love and with all lord with all boldness and, and with all assurance today that it is you speaking to us And I pray that, Lord, as your word goes forth, that faith would rise in the house and that the conviction of the Holy Ghost would be present today to bring us to a place, God, of greater consecration unto you. In Jesus' name, we worship you. We praise you. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. You may be seated. I love being in the presence of, of the Lord. Amen. Anybody here loves being in the presence of the Lord? I love being in the presence of the Lord. There have been times in my life when I simply could not stand any longer in His presence because it was so powerful, and I simply had to fall to my face or fall on my knees. I have been in church services where the power of God was present in such a way that it was literally thick enough uh, that, that it was almost like there was a real mist in the air. You could almost feel the mist of a, of a fog as the cloud of God's glory was filling the temple. I've been in the midst of services where the power of God was so strong and so thick that nobody really knew what to do. So we all just had to get out of the way and just let God do whatever it was that He was going to do. And and I love it when that happens. There there needs to be order in things. I, I believe that God operates in order, but sometimes God just wants to come in and disrupt everything and do something that we couldn't fabricate or we could not we could not uh, we we couldn't even facilitate it. Uh, we just need to create an atmosphere where God can move and by the way we ought to be doing that every time we come into the house of the Lord or every time we go into our prayer closets we ought to just be creating an atmosphere of true worship I'm talking about the essence of true worship today we ought to be able to create an atmosphere where God can come in and just disrupt everything and do whatever it is that he wants to do I believe God honors preparation but when God steps in all the plans go out the window amen Because he knows better than we know what needs to be done i have seen the power of god so powerful in a place in at times when there were literally no dry eyes in the place because there was conviction that was present or there was or there was joy that was present and there was maybe on this side of the house there was there was tears of joy but on on this side of the house there were tears of sorrow or tears of repentance but i have been in places where it didn't matter how hardened that criminal or that sinner might have been that There was not a dry eye in the place because there were tears everywhere because the power and the glory and the love and the compassion of God so filled that place. I've been in prayer meetings where the power of God swept in so strong that there was this powerful spirit of intercession that nobody could do anything but pray in the Holy Ghost for hours and hours at a time. Oh, I long for prayer meetings like that again. I've been in places where every single sickness or disease was healed. But sadly, these things don't happen all the time. But when Jesus walked the earth, the Bible says that he walked into a place, and I know there were certain places that he went and he couldn't do many miracles because they didn't have any faith. But where there was faith, wherever Jesus went and found faith, the Bible says that he healed every sickness and healed every disease and set free everyone that was oppressed of the devil. Oh, I long for services like that where there's not one chain or one shackle that can stand as the Word of God is being preached or as worship is going forward and the glory of God falls in the place and the Spirit of God begins to minister and not one shackle can stand, not one yoke can stay intact because the yoke is destroyed because of the anointing. That's That ought to be the kind of experiences that we have all the time. Jesus said that if we believe on him which also means if we follow him and obey him that if we would believe on him the works that he did that we would do also so if Jesus healed every sickness then through the power of the Holy Ghost we ought to see every sickness healed if Jesus cast out every devil that he ever encountered that needed to be cast out then we ought to be able to do it as well there's no limit to what God can do through us if we will just allow him to do it and create the atmosphere where he can do it. Then he said, not only that, but you'll do greater works than I did. You'll do greater works than I did. That's awesome. We can do greater things than Jesus did when he walked the earth. Jesus walked on water. Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves and they obeyed him. But he said if we have faith as a grain of the mustard seed that we can just speak to the mountain and it'll be moved as we speak. The thing is this, is that we are temples of the Holy Ghost. We are temples of the living God. And if we have the gift of the Holy Ghost inside us, then we are living, walking. We ought to be living, walking, glorious manifestations of the glory and the kingdom of God. If we would just learn how to allow God to move through us the way that he wants to move through us. And if we would just allow him to flow through us. And and that comes with compassion as well, by the way. Because the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitude and i know and i can sense and i can feel in the spirit and i can hear it and i can just see it i don't even need to be sensitive to the holy ghost to, to see how much hurt and pain is out there in the world today and i can't stand by and be idle while people are dying and going to a devil's hell when i've got the answer the answer lives in me, and I know what they need, and I know who they need, and all I've got to do is just say, "Jesus, here I am." And, but the problem is, we don't allow ourselves to be moved with compassion enough. But Jesus, the Bible says He was moved with compassion, and every time He was moved with compassion, there would be a miracle that happened. Whether it was the feeding of the five thousand, or the raising up of the dead, or the the delivering of those that were oppressed of the devil, or the healing of sicknesses and. Diseases. Jesus when Jesus saw the multitudes he would be moved with compassion and they would see miracles because compassion is always the prelude to a miracle compassion is always the prelude to a miracle The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they shall see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. That's the same word that he used when he said greater works. So part of letting our light shine in this world is by the good works that we do, and they ought to be able, they ought to be the works of God. We ought to be working the works of God in our everyday life, everywhere we go, and in everything we do. We ought to be working the works of God, and that is how we let our light shine before men. And the ultimate end is when that happens, we see glorious manifestations of the kingdom of God and miracles and signs and deliverances and wonders and all of these things happen not so that we can build a name for ourselves but so God can get the glory because he will be glorified in heaven and he will be glorified in earth he's already and always glorified in heaven but he wants to get the glory in the earth and he does that through his church it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom and the bible says it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure he is working in us to give us the kingdom and to allow the kingdom to manifest through us we've got to have a move of God we've got to have the kingdom manifesting in our lives not just in our church services but in our lives In our everyday lives. You ought not just pray in the Holy Ghost when you come to church. When you come to church not should not be the only time you clap your hands unto the Lord. When you come to church ought not be the only time you shout unto the Lord. When you come to the church building ought not be the only time you pray and cry out to Jesus for the lost. It ought to be a living daily thing that you do every single day. Come on somebody. We need the kingdom of God to manifest through us. In our text, it was a glorious day. Solomon's temple had had been built. It had been seven years in the building, and so there was great anticipation in the air. Excitement was the the order of the day. There was celebration everywhere. There was singing and rejoicing and instruments being filled, and there was dancing and, and all kinds of rejoicing going on. It was such a glorious day. As the house of the Lord was dedicated, that the glory of the Lord filled the house. When the glory of God filled the house, it got so powerful and it got so thick that the priests couldn't even stand any longer to do their jobs. The implication was that they were overwhelmed so much that They probably were shaking and couldn't even hold the incense. They couldn't even pour the oil into the candlestick they they were so overwhelmed that they that they just could not do all the things that they needed to do they were probably shaking and dropping the ashes from the altar and they were doing all the things that they were supposed to be doing but they couldn't do them anymore and and the implication is that that cloud came in and it was so thick that they couldn't even see to go where they needed to go and so they just fell down before the lord Whenever you encounter the glory of the Lord, the proper response is always to fall down before him. Matter of fact, if you really encounter the glory of God, you're not going to have any choice anyway. But I came this morning with a burning urgency in my heart to see The glory of the Lord in this house and in this city. I don't want church to be the status quo, same old, same old anymore. I want to see the glory of the Lord manifest in the house of the Lord. The way it was in Solomon's day. And even better than that. We heard a great message last night at the Multicultural Missions Rally. If you were not there, I encourage you to go to ctdistrict.org or or go to the the CT District uh, UPCI Facebook page, and the live stream was there, and Missionary Harvey uh, preached a a message and he basically was saying we need a move of god the world that we live in the age that we live in if we're going to be the church if we're going to reach the world then we're going to need a move of god we're going to need to see the glory of god we need real authentic moves of god that cannot be explained away by logic or reason There needs to be things happening in our church service that we can't explain. There needs to be things happening when we're walking about in our daily lives that we can't even explain away, we can't define, we can't put in a box because God cannot be contained in a box and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and we ought to be experiencing things that we have no fathomability towards. We can't even comprehend it in our minds. He'll reveal them to us, but we still can't understand them. Paul said he was caught up in the third heaven. And the things that he saw there, he couldn't even put into words. And that access is for all of us if we'll just go there. And if we'll just pay the price to get there if we're going to reach our world the only thing that is going to reach this world is a real authentic move of god that cannot be explained in any way except that there is a mighty god who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think there's a god in heaven that is greater than anything for whom nothing is impossible and for whom nothing is too hard the only way we are going to see the revival that god has promised in these last days is if we will allow God to move the way he wants to move in our services and in our lives because it's not just in these four walls so everywhere that we go Peter's shadow was not manifested in the synagogue but on the streets He's walking through the streets, and as he walked through the streets, they were laying people in his path so that his shadow would fall on them so that they would be healed. That was not inside the walls of a synagogue or a temple or a tabernacle. That was out on the streets. I came to tell the church today, we better start taking it to the streets. We better get the glory of God so deep inside us that it saturates everything that we do, and it's recognized everywhere that we go. We've got to reach this world. It's our commission. And the world that we live in today is so inundated with the sensational that we better have a sensational move of God in order to attract them and tell them that this is what's real. Not for the effect of sensationalism or for entertainment, but so they'll know that there is a true God in heaven that demands their repentance. we're going to reach our world we've got to see the kingdom of god manifest in ways that we've never seen it before there's a church service going on right now in newington where there are literally a whole coven of witches that are showing up for that service because they want to hear the the gospel message and within that coven of witches there are woven in former backslidden apostolic people the devil thought he was weaving a web that would catch them and caught and and keep them caught forever but jesus loves his people even when they turn their backs on him and he never gives up on them and god is doing a work and i'm praying for a move of god that all 14 of those witches and warlocks will get the holy ghost and that the methodist church that's in this in the service with them that they'll get the holy ghost too and that there is such a move of god that nobody can explain it except that they go back to the book of acts and see that's the kind of stuff we saw there that only god could do the devil thought he was weaving a web and trapping those folks in there but all along God was using what the enemy meant for evil to turn it around for good and now God is getting ready to restore them and in the middle of that he is imploding a whole realm of Satan's kingdom from the inside out and we can see the same thing happen here it needs to happen Because with what we're watching on TV these days and what we're seeing on the internet and the stuff that we're seeing in form of entertainment is so sensational and so special effect driven that everything is that that, that if we don't have something real in the church, people are not going to be attracted to Jesus. They need to know a Jesus that's powerful and awesome and mighty and able to do absolutely anything. They need to know a Jesus that walks on water and calms the wind and the waves. They need to know a Jesus that obliterates cancer at just a word. They need to know a Jesus that delivers from alcoholism with just one touch of his spirit. You know what those witches and warlocks are asking for? They're asking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that's what we need. We need an outpouring of the Spirit that defies all logic. We need a manifestation of the glory of God. I feel like Moses this morning. Show me thy glory. Not for the glory's sake. Not so I can say I saw something or touched something or experienced something. But so I can reach the world that you called me to reach with your gospel. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the name on the church door. It's not about the denomination. It's not about anything except the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom whose name is Jesus. Jesus. The world has so much counterfeit supernatural out there that the church better have the real supernatural operating in it. It happened in the book of Acts. Why is it not happening today? If Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever and we say that we are the church of Jesus Christ, then why is the church not the same yesterday and today and forever? Why have we lost the supernatural on a regular basis? I don't want just a momentary every now and then type of revival. I want sustained revival. I want sustained harvest. I want to see miracles over and over and over again because I want to see people healed. And I want to see people delivered. I want to see people transplanted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And the only way it's going to happen is if I offer them something that is real and authentically supernatural. It's what the world is hungry for and it's what the church needs if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. If Solomon's temple without the outpouring of the Holy Ghost could have such a manifestation of the glory of God, what is holding back the New Testament church with the King of all glory, Christ in glory? I can't even get the words out. The hope of glory inside me and inside you. We need the manifestation of the glory of God. It is time that the glory of the first century apostolic church is restored into the 21st century apostolic church. And every one of us that is here, it is time for the glory of God to be restored to every individual believer. In Jesus' name, we must have the glory. Pastor Brown, if, if it's so important to have the glory, then how do we get it? I'm so glad you asked. We better talk about how to get it. If it's necessary to have it, then we better figure out how to get it. The thing is, is it's already living inside us if we've got the Holy Ghost. We just need it to manifest through us. What does it take to get the glory? Well, we see in our text that it was worship that ushered in the glory of God, it was singing to God, it was playing instruments to God. It was dancing before the Lord. It was shouting and rejoicing and celebration that was happening in the house of the Lord that ushered in the glory of God. God desires to show us his glory. That's why he's Searching for true worshipers, the Father seeketh such to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And I came to tell somebody today that we've got to get back to the essence of true worship. Because true worship will always result in God responding by displaying and manifesting His kingdom glory on earth. When the king and the priests and the musicians, the Levites and the the singers all got together and started doing their thing. Together, in the house of the Lord, the glory of the Lord filled the house, and it ought to be true today as well. Oh, and there is something absolutely powerful that happens. I feel the presence of God in a very powerful way right now. There's something so powerful that happens when the people of God get together and start worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth I wonder I wonder if we got any true worshipers in the house today that if just for a moment would you just stand to your feet and just for 30 seconds give the Lord some true worship and true praise from the depths of your heart right now I worship you I feel the glory of the Lord in the house right now. I feel the power of the Lord here right now. If you're the king right now, the healer is here I worship you Jesus. Yes, hallelujah, hallelujah hallelujah, hallelujah. I speak healing right now to every sickness and every disease. Lord, manifest your glory in the worship of your people right now. In Jesus' name. Yes, yes, yes. Let it sweep across this place right now. Let it move you to true worship from the depth of your heart. Yes, yes, yes. We worship you, Jesus. Yolo lobo sada yolo lobo si yolo lobo kocha talo lobo kocha talaba haya yolo lobo se Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Oh, glory, 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 glory. Yala masata yo lobo sada. Praise God, praise God. It's so awesome, it's so wonderful. Feel what I love, and I love what I feel in this house right now. But you can be seated because we're not not where we need to get to yet. You see, in that that day in King Solomon's temple, in the midst of the singing and the rejoicing and the feel-good atmosphere that was in that place and in the midst of the dancing and the leaping and the shouting that was happening, There was something that was just as powerful and just as important that was happening as well. King Solomon and the Levites and the priests, they brought all all the instruments and all the vessels that had been in the tabernacle into the temple, which included the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the glory of the Lord. And. King Solomon must have learned at least one good lesson from his dad. You see, when David brought the ark back into Jerusalem, remember the ark representing the presence and the glory of God. When he brought it back into Jerusalem, much has been made about it. And we've heard many messages preached about the fact that David danced before the Lord with all his might to the point at which his own wife was despising his worship and we've heard many messages preached about that and i've preached some messages about that and they're all true and they're wonderful and they're awesome (laughs) david was worshiping before the glory of god because the glory of god will not enter if worship doesn't go first but there was something else happening when david was bringing the ark back in as well You find it in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 13. It was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord, that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. Before the dance, there better be some sacrifice. Before you get your shout on, there ought to be a price to pay. Before you can experience the glory, you must first visit the altar of sacrifice. That's why we have to repent before anything else can happen in the new birth. Because I have to die to myself and my old man before the new man can be birthed in me. That's why you'll never see anybody get the Holy Ghost if they don't have true repentance in their heart. But it only takes a moment like that of true repentance for God to fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. But David understood the importance and the necessity of sacrifice. And therefore, his worship was always mixed with sacrifice. I feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost right now. David's worship was always mixed with sacrifice. But sacrifice is ugly. Sacrifice is painful. Sacrifice is costly, sacrifice is dirty and bloody, but true worship cannot be achieved without sacrifice. Therefore, if you want true worship, you better be willing to get ugly. Why did Michael despise David? Because he became base so much so that he didn't care what anybody else thought. When was the last time you let go in worship to the point you didn't care what anybody else thought? When was the last time you didn't worry about whether your hair was going to fall down or whether your suit jacket was going to get wrinkled or or whether people were going to think ill of you if you just gave it your all in worship when was the last time you leaped as high as you can leap and you I came to tell somebody that true worship of sacrifice is my microphone without sacrifice no true worship if you're not willing to pay the price then you're not really worshiping Oh, I know you don't like it right now. I know some of y'all are mad at me right now, but if you're not willing to pay the price, you're not really worshiping. I don't care how pretty your dance looks. I don't care how loud your clap is. I don't care if you're down the church, if you're not paying the price of sacrifice, then your worship is not acceptable to God. Right. Come on now. And it's not true worship anyway. The essence of true worship is sacrifice. And David understood this, which is why he not only danced before the Lord with all his might, but he sacrificed every six paces. But it's also why he would later declare that I will not offer that to the Lord which cost me nothing. David understood that true worship was always going to come with a high price tag. David understood that true worship meant that he was going to have to lay down some of his pride. David understood that true worship meant he was going to have to lay down some of his desires. David understood that true worship meant that he was going to have to let go of some things that he had been hanging on to for a long time. David understood Understood that true worship meant that he was going to have to get rid of some things that he didn't want to get rid of David understood that true worship meant I better pay the price and Solomon learned that from his father David 2nd Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 6 also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark, sacrificed sheep and oxen, which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. This is right before we read about the glory of the Lord filling the house. Right before we read about all that worship that was going on. They were sacrificing oxen and sheep that could not be told or numbered for multitude the jewish historian josepha says that the ground for miles was literally saturated with the blood of the sacrifices one could not even approach the temple without the blood of the sacrifices squishing between the toes of their sandals Church, we are the temples of the Holy Ghost in this New Testament and this new covenant. And Jesus shed his blood for us and that blood ought to saturate our lives so that nobody that comes into contact with us is not affected by the work of the blood in our lives. The ground that we walk on ought to literally be saturated by the work of the blood of Jesus in our lives. People ought not be able to approach us without walking in the blood of our consecration and our sacrifice and our worship to the Lord. We ought to hear them coming because we hear the squishing that they're making as they walk close to us. We ought to know that they're coming because we hear the splatter of the droplets of blood splashing up from the ground that they're walking in and the puddles of blood that they're walking in because we're leaving a bloody aftermath everywhere we go of sacrifice and true worship unto the Lord. Because the essence of true worship is sacrifice. And without that sacrifice, there is no worship. So the, the, the smell and the essence of my sacker, of my worship is always sacrifice. Solomon made sure, I know some of y'all aren't getting it right now and some of y'all already checked out because you don't like me talking about blood. But blood is the most powerful thing we see in Scripture outside the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful thing. And if it were not for the blood, there'd be no remission of sins. So you wouldn't have a church to go to if there was no shedding of blood. So don't get all dignified on me and get upset when I start talking about the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. our in the blood. Oh, come on. Are you the lamb to die? Oh, thank God for the blood. If it had not been for the blood. Oh, <sighs> If it had not been for the blood of Jesus, where would I be right now? There is no deliverance without the blood of Jesus. There is no liberty without the blood of Jesus. There is no Holy Ghost without the blood of Jesus being shed. So Solomon made sure he followed his, his father David's example. That father who was a man who was after God's own heart. Solomon made sure that his worship was accompanied by sacrifice. And then, and only then, then did the glory of God fall in the house of God. The essence of true worship is real sacrifice. Conviction of the Holy Ghost is so strong in the place right now. Jesus said in Luke 9 and 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily sacrifice is the essence of true worship. There are too many people that want to follow, but they never want to take up a cross. But Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is no proving good and acceptable and perfect will of God without a life of sacrifice. Our reasonable service, the least we could do because of the blood that Jesus shed for us that reaches to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley. The, the, the least that we could do because of all that Jesus did for us is to offer ourselves as a daily sacrifice and to pick up that cross and follow him everywhere he leads us to go. That's why Paul said what? Know you not that you are temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The problem is that we got too many people in the church that want all the benefits of the church. Without paying the price of discipleship, I'm not my own. When I went down in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, I gave up all rights to my own life. When He filled me with the Holy Ghost, He put His seal and His stamp on me, and I'm no longer my own. Because He commended His love toward me while I was yet a sinner. He died for me. There's a tradition, or there's a a portion of the Jewish law that says every 50th year in the year of Jubilee, you release all prisoners, all servants, everyone that had sold themselves into slavery, you release them. But if there is a slave or a servant that loves the master so much that he doesn't want to leave, then you mark him. And he will become fully and ever devoted to that master. I need, when he gave me the Holy Ghost, he marked me. And now his love is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And I'm not my own. And by the way, I don't want to be my own anymore. I love him because he first loved me. And he loved me so much that he gave everything for me. And now I love him so much that I'm giving everything for him. I live to worship him. My life is not my own to him. I belong. I give myself. I give myself away so that he can use me. I am not my own. There's a sad passage of scripture in the book of Luke chapter 10. Excuse me. Jesus did most of his ministry in three cities. Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. And there's a very sad statement in Luke chapter 10, verse 13 and 14. I'm actually reading it in the Passion Translation, but it says, How disastrous, King James Version says, Woe unto them! but how disastrous it will be for the city of Chorazin how horrible for the city of Bethsaida for if the powerful miracles that had been performed in Chorazin and Bethsaida had been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have humbled themselves repented and turned from their sins he said I say to you that Tyre and Sidon will face a lesser degree of judgment than you will Chorazin and Bethsaida On the day of judgment the problem with those cities is that they wanted Jesus to make them healthy and make them happy and make them comfortable without devoting themselves completely to him and really believing that he was who he said he was without allowing God to completely take over their lives They wanted the glory without being true worshipers. And they wanted to try to offer worship without sacrifice. They wanted the glory without the sacrifice and without the price. And the problem with so so many so-called Christians today is the very problem that was in Chorazin and Bethsaida. We want Jesus to make us healthy and happy and comfortable, but we don't really want to follow him. We don't really want Jesus to disrupt our pretty little lives. We got our plans and our ideas and our thoughts and our ambitions. So if it's possible, we want the benefits of the kingdom while still being the king of our own kingdoms. Last week we preached, thy kingdom come. We talked about how we have to lay those crowns down at the altar and never pick them back up again there's an old Jewish saying the disciples would say all, you know, if, if there was a, a, a group of disciples that were following a rabbi true disciples would say this let me be clothed with the dust of my rabbi's feet that means I'm walking with him so closely that the dust that he's kicking up is covering me Going all over me. The dusty trails that they must have walked in those days. But they needed to be, see Christianity and discipleship is, all, discipleship is all about proximity to Him. It's all about nearness to Him. And following Him wherever He takes us, no matter where that may be. Even if He sends us into the middle of a storm. Even if He asks us to give up something that we don't want to give up. Even if He says, I want you to pay a great price. It was that way at Korazin, and it's that way in so many people in the church today. We follow at a distance, but we do not get close enough to let the dirt of his sandals fall upon our lives. We stay close enough to feel the excitement or maybe even experience a miracle every once in a while, but we never get close enough to really let him change us. We hang out on the fringes and we expect all the fringe benefits. Or, worse yet, we just want to be friends with benefits with Jesus. Oh, I know it's hard. I know the conviction is strong right now, but this is what thus saith the Lord. We want all the benefits and all the pleasure and all the momentary joy and all the comfort without the price of commitment and consecration and separation. But Jesus said, woe unto them. And then he said that there will be many that say unto me, Lord, Lord. Did I not cast out devils in your name? Did I not do this? Did I, did I not experience miracles? Did I not have all this happen? And yet he says, I depart from me you that work iniquity I know you not you know what iniquity is knowing to do what is right and not doing it that's what iniquity is it's not just sin but it's willful sin it's I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I don't do it I know I'm supposed to take up my cross but I refuse to take up my cross I know I'm supposed to sacrifice but I refuse to sacrifice I know there's a cost I'm supposed to pay but I refuse to pay the cost that is a worker of iniquity And many in that day will be like in Noah's day when they were knocking on the door of the ark, but it was too late for them to get into the ark. I know it's a hard message today, but I'm trying to get us to a point where we realize that the essence of true worship is sacrifice. And until we get to the point where no price is too high and no cost is too great, then we are never going to experience and be able to offer true worship. And if we never get to the point where we can offer true worship, then we're never going to get to the point where we see the glory of God in our lives the way that he wants to manifest it in our lives. Because in his kingdom, it's those that lose their lives that gain them. We want the gain without the loss. In God's economy, it's those who give more that receive more. Many want the blessings of Calvary without ever taking up their own cross. Without ever visiting their own altar of sacrifice. I feel the spirit of the Lord saying there is a spirit of entitlement in my church today that must be combated. We are not entitled to anything. Jesus is calling for us to be true cross bearers. He is calling for disciples who will truly follow him closely enough to let the dirt and the dust of his feet kick up into our lives. He is looking for people who will pay the price and will truly understand the price that Jesus paid for them. He's looking for people who will say, like Paul said, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, unto the power of the resurrection. But Paul said, at any cost, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and what? And in the fellowship of his suffering. You don't get to the power of the resurrection without the fellowship of the suffering. If you're not willing to go to Calvary, then you're not willing. You're not willing to, you'll never see the resurrection. If you're not willing to die, you can never rise again. There is no glory without true worship. And there is no true worship without full sacrifice. If we want to see miracles and signs and wonders and greater works, then we have got to understand that we have got to pay the price for God to manifest His glory the way that He wants to. The problem with Chorazin and Beside is that they wanted the, king without, or the kingdom without a king. And God is saying, I want to be your savior. And I want to be your king. And I want to be your Lord. I don't want to be just a supplement to your diet. I'm the bread of life. And bread's not just an appetizer or a side dish. In those days, it was the meal. It was the essence of the meal. God desires to be our daily bread, not just a snack every now and then. He wants to be the main course and not just a side dish. The problem is is that we, we treat him as a side dish. But he's not the main thing. But he didn't treat me as a side dish when he went to the cross. Because when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. And you were not a side dish. And you were not an appetizer. And you were not an optional add-on. You were the essence of the very reason why he went to Calvary. Why he paid that price. And because of that price, there is no price that is too great for me to pay for him. Oh, how he loved me. Oh, how he loved you. Oh, how he loves you and me. And there is nothing that should separate me from his love. And that includes whatever price that he asked me to pay. Because there's no angel or trouble or persecution or tribulation or devil in hell that can separate you from the love of God. The only thing that can separate you from the love of God is your own attitude of not being willing to pay the price of obedience and sacrifice and being a cross-bearer. God is calling out for true worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. His nostrils are looking for the savor of true worship. Just stand with me, please. I learned through my years of playing sports that I was probably never going to be the most gifted or the most talented athlete. I wasn't the tallest one on the basketball court. I wasn't the one that could jump the highest. I wasn't the baseball player who had the cannon for an arm. I could throw it, and I could throw it accurately, but I didn't have the cannon. I didn't have all the natural gifting and talent and ability that everybody else had. I was usually the smallest guy on the football team. Fortunately, I was one of the fastest, so it helped a little bit, but I was not the most gifted or talented But I never let that stop me. And I made all star teams and all state teams and all conference teams and all tournament teams. Because I knew if I was going to get in the game, it had to be hard work and dedication that was going to get me there. I had to put in the time and the work and practice in order to earn the playing time in the game. And there's so many Christians that are out there looking at the Lord saying, put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game, coach. Put me in the game, coach. And yet you're still riding the end of the bench and you're wondering why. And you're getting disgruntled and you're wondering why you're not being put in the game. The reason you're not being put in the game is because you're not putting in the work and practice. How can we expect God to use us in the game if we won't go to practice? Coaches know who they can trust in the game by who they've learned they can trust in practice. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You see, it's not all about just coming to church. That's not what Christianity is all about. This isn't game day. This is practice. Game day is Monday through Saturday when you're out there. The game day is when you walk up to your coworker and you see them crying and wondering why in the world they're crying. Will you be moved with compassion to go over and talk with them even if you've never had a conversation with them before? Or even if they treated you wrong earlier in the day? Game day is when you walk up to somebody in the grocery store and realize that they're hurting and painful and God is prompting you to talk to them. Will you do it or not? Game day is when you walk up to somebody who you know is in need and you've got something to help them and you have a choice to make. Are you going to buy them food or are you just going to walk past them? If I want to be used in the game, I better put in the prayer time. I better put in the fasting time. We're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting in September. And there's a sign-up sheet right there. And I expect to see every one of you sign up for at least one day during those 21 days. I'd really like to see us do a couple days a week for three weeks or one meal a day or something. But you better put in the price, put in the time for getting in the Word and staying in the Word. How is it that we expect God to show up at just the right time and be an on-time God for us when we can't even get to church on time? Or how is it that we expect God to do whatever it is that, he, that we need Him to do in our lives, but we can't even follow the command to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together? We expect God to answer our prayers, but we can't even show up for Sunday night Bible class. Or Wednesday night Bible study. I know it's hard. I knew it was going to be, but the conviction of the Holy Ghost is here for a reason. Because God is calling us to another level of consecration and sacrifice to Him. Because the Father is seeking true worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. We expect Jesus to hear our every cry and answer our every cry, but we don't even respond when he's prompting us to go talk to our coworker, Or we just walk out the door without praying, even though we hear his voice calling and saying, Hey, what about me? I'm waiting right here. I wanted to talk to you today. I wanted to tell you that I loved you today. I wanted to, I wanted to give you a word that you're going to need for what you face earlier in the day, but you, you didn't even spend time with me. So the question today is if I want Jesus to be at my beck and call, am I willing to be at his beck and call? Church, salvation is free. But everything after salvation comes with a price. There is nothing easy Or free about true Christianity and true discipleship and true worship And so I'm asking you this question this morning Will you show up for practice? Will you work on the things that you need to improve on will you deal with the stuff that you need to deal with? I said some pretty hard stuff today, but I had no choice I was compelled by the Holy Ghost to say it because God has so many great things in store for us in store for you that he's just trying to get you to the level of consecration where he can do everything in your life that he wants to do and if I didn't love you I would have preached an easier message but I love you so I had to preach the truth to you don't let me become your enemy because I tell you the truth today how can Jesus trust us with greater works if he can't even trust us to get to church And I'm tired of that lie that that the enemy has been perpetrating in the church that it doesn't take all of that. I come against that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It does take all of that. And more. He deserves to ask of me anything that He wants to ask of me because He's King and He's Lord and He's God of my life. What if Jesus had said about the cross, it doesn't take all of that? What if Jesus said, just kill me, but don't make me bleed? What if Jesus said, make it quick and painless? Then he never would have been wounded for my transgressions or bruised for my iniquity and the chastisement of my peace never would have been upon him and there wouldn't have been any stripes for my healing what if Jesus had said one stripe but not anymore then there would have been only one kind of healing that came from one stripe but it's with his stripes that we are healed because he embraced it and he was willing to take every single stripe for my healing and for your healing What if Jesus had said alright that's good enough We don't need to go any further than that That's enough just stop right there What if he had said that's close enough Like we do with our prayer life Or like we do with coming to church I'll just come on Sunday morning and that's good enough I'll just, I'll just come to church every once in a while And check my time card in the spirit realm And I'll be alright And everything will be okie dory, And every, you know, everything will be just fine It does take all of that. So, in this house and in this hour, there is a clarion call of the Spirit to greater consecration. I'm not going to tug and pull and plead with you. The altar is open. If you need to consecrate yourself to the Lord one more time, it starts right here and it starts right now. But the decision is up to you right now. Will you come to practice? Will you pay the price? There's only one incident in all the Gospels That Jesus said is going to be preached everywhere throughout the whole world. Now you would think it would be something awesome like raising the dead. Or healing the sick. Or walking on water. Or feeding the 5,000. But it was not that. The one thing that Jesus said would be preached throughout the world throughout all ages. Was when Mary took her alabaster box. And poured her praise on Jesus. And it cost her everything. Everything. That is what is supposed to be preached everywhere that we go. Is that true worship, the essence of true worship is true sacrifice and it will cost me everything. But here's the deal. Abraham was climbing up the mountain to sacrifice Isaac. Think about what it must have taken to get there. The conversation he had to have with his wife about sacrificing the son they'd waited 90 or 100 years for. Think about the miracle it must have taken for a 100 year old man and a 90 year old woman to conceive and bear a child. Think about all the stuff they had to go through to get there. And now God said, take him on the mountain and kill him on the altar of sacrifice. And yet in Genesis 22 and verse 5, Abraham said this to his servants. He said, I, he's climbing up the mountain to sacrifice. The promise to sacrifice the one thing that he loved the most in the world. And he said, I and the lad go yonder to worship. He did not say, I and the lad go yonder to sacrifice. He said, I and the land go yonder to worship. Because to Abraham, worship was sacrifice. And sacrifice was worship. There was no separation. (laughs) So we need to get back to the heart of worship this morning. Where it's all about Him. It's all about Him. or cry out to the Lord.